0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and the list of boys' names written on the girls' bathroom wall. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the things we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Heather Schwedell,
1: a staff writer at Slate. And me, Rebecca Onion, a senior editor for Slate.
0: This week, we're discussing a controversial long-form article that appears on the cover of the latest issue of New York Magazine under the headline, Canceled at 17. Written by Elizabeth Wheel, it's about a high school student named Diego who gets quote-unquote canceled for showing a nude photo of his then-girlfriend to some other kids and everything that comes after that. And the thing that really fascinated me about this story initially is the dynamics of it are just the exact opposite of what I would have expected them to be during my own high school years in the 2000s. Then it was unimaginable that the whole school would stand up for Fiona, Diego's ex, and ostracize Diego. But that's what happens in this story. And that's progress. But is it though? (laughs) Rebecca, why did you want to talk about this?
1: I thought the way that this was written was extremely fascinating. It's designed to make the reader feel sympathy for this guy who did something that you know, is very wrong, um, uncomfortable, and upsetting. But it's also um, kind of tapped into a lot of people's pet topics in discourse right now. Uh, You know, obviously, cancel culture, revenge porn, um, what the pandemic did to um, kids, and all of these things have made people react in a very, very virulent way.
0: We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about the choice to center the piece around Diego rather than the girl he wronged. Certainly some of the backlash the piece received, and it did receive a lot, um, including a post-publication gawker scoop about the article that makes the discussion even more complicated. So all of that right after this. Hey, Waves listeners. If you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too, like last week's episodes about Gone Girl and Roe vs. Wade. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: In Williamsburg,
0: Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here, and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to The Waves. Now we're going to try to spend some time unpacking the premise of the piece, why it's so grabby and why it drew so much attention, and why it drew so much criticism, too. So first, I guess we should specify what it means when we say that Diego was canceled. So... What happened there is that when word got around school of uh, what he did, most of his friends stopped speaking to him. Um, Word spread that he was an abuser and his friends who did still speak to him, they had to do so secretly because they didn't want to be canceled by association. Also, his name appeared on a list of boys to look out for in the girls' bathroom at school. He lost his job. He got very depressed and so on. So in this piece, we're getting to see um, cancel culture and Me Too, which have been these hot button topics for a few years now for adults. And we're getting to see how they've trickled down into teenagers lives. Um, And also playing into this is the pandemic and how isolated kids were during it. Um, It was a time when many of them were spending so much time alone, so much time on social media, which can be a place that's very toxic and it's hard to see others as. As humans, um, you can encourage some kind of binary thinking. So I think all of these things combine to paint a picture of a high school environment in the article that's just really unfamiliar to a lot of adults.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because the perspective on social media, which, of course, is like the idea of how different it is to be a teenager now that there's social media is like endlessly fascinating, I feel like, if you're a person who grew up without it, as both of us are. The way that it's depicted in the article is that while these kids were at home, I think she says it's 18 months that they're out of school. During that 18 months, like a lot of people started reflecting on previous interpersonal situations that had occurred at the school um, and decided that they d- it didn't sit well with them. And it's interesting because it's like in some ways, Elizabeth Wheeler is sort of implying that that was like a bad thing, that it was like a, like that they're... When I say they, I mean, mostly the girls at the school, um, that their are sort of realizations that they had when they were away from the school were, I don't know, groupthink or something. She does not use that word. I don't want to put that word in her mouth. But that there is this sort of like turnaround in their thinking that came from not being around people. And, and maybe like it's implied reading a lot of like social justice stuff online. It's interesting because as a reader, I'm like, part of me is kind of like, well, maybe that's good. Like maybe, you know, I don't know. She kind of... Um, sort of paints it as something that is totally negative. And part of me thinks like, oh, like if we all have a chance to step back from our lives and like reconsider our social relationships and, and think about them more um, intensely, like maybe that's, that's a good thing. But it's also interesting that, you know, the revelation that we hinted at in the introduction that came from the Gawker Scoop the day before recording this podcast sheds a new light on this. Yeah,
0: let's get into the revelation. So Tarpley hit a reporter at Gawker, published a piece in the days after the article came out uh, that revealed that one of the writer Elizabeth Wheel's kids had gone to the school that is the focus of the story. I was initially willing to give the writer more of a benefit of doubt than I'm now inclined to. We should note that uh, Wheel told The Waves via email. I didn't know the subjects personally, and I haven't had a kid in the school in years. There was no personal conflict. This is not a personal story. Gawker is being Gawker. She did confirm, though, that her child's time at school overlapped with Diego's. I was thinking that it's that's not ethical. It's not ethical to write an article about your child's school and not disclose that.
1: We should be clear that she doesn't mention any of this association in the article, um, and indeed, Um, represents the school as a school that could be anywhere in the nation. Tarpley hit in before getting the scoop about the association with the child was sort of guessing that this could be a Bay Area school because the schools in the Bay Area high schools have had a bunch of um, Title IX related walkouts, like kids protesting cases of abuse at the school that they feel were not handled well, Um, kids protesting changes in the Title IX rules, Um, And for you, that changes things quite a bit. I think
0: it just undermines her credibility. I think there's still value in the article, but her not disclosing that, it just makes me question how fairly she's telling this story. And you just mentioned it's a school she knows really well. So in some way, it's like, oh, why shouldn't she write? About a school she knows really well, but you you just have to say that you're doing that if you do that, and I guess she couldn't because that would reveal you know the subjects of the piece, and you know they wouldn't have their privacy.
1: Ironically, it's happened anyway. Although we should say that Gawker did not reveal the name of the school.
0: Another thing that uh, created a lot of discussion. I mean, before we found all of that out, is the discussions around, um, shunning and, and bullying in the article. Uh, what did you think about that?
1: Yeah, this was something that people online really hit on, which, um, was sort of an interesting critique to me because I sort of mean, but, you know, I have in mind this particular thread from Amanda Marcotte, a writer, um, who basically wrote about her own experience being shunned in high school. Um, which came about because she wore Nikes to school instead of Keds, and she didn't know that Nikes were for boys and Keds were for girls. And in her story that, you know, that she told in her tweet thread about it, that was sort of like led to her having just basically no friends for the rest of high school. I don't know if it's because a lot of people on Twitter were shunned, but, you know, I personally was not shunned, but I saw it happen to a lot of people. Um, So people have these stories in their minds. And then the next leap that people make when reading about someone like Diego who gets shunned after he does something like actively um, transgresses is to say sort of almost like borderline good. (laughs) You know, we're turning this like weapon of teenagers onto people who deserve it for once, which is a reaction that doesn't kind of sit right with me because I don't think anyone should have that happen to them. But I don't know. Does that a critique have any validity for you? It's hard because,
0: especially if you in high school have had some some sort of thing like what happened to Fiona happened to you. I mean, this feels karmically just. Um, I can see that. But uh, like, yes, now we're we're shunning the perpetrators, and maybe they'll learn, and maybe there'll be less of this. But. I I think you're right. I I think just because it happened to some people doesn't mean we should subject more people to it. No one should be shunned.
1: Well, I don't know. I guess maybe that's like sort of the deeper question at the heart of the question, like the discussion of cancel culture and bullying in this story is like, could this have been stopped? Or like, is this just something that's like a malign evil force that's out there in teenage life. And like it's shifted around to point itself at this like supposedly adorable and sweet 17-year-old this time.
0: We're going to take a break here. And in our next segment, we'll get into some of what the writer says she was trying to do in the piece and whether she achieved that. But if you want to hear more from Rebecca and myself on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, where today we're talking about our own high school experiences.
1: Please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money, and of course, this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus.
0: We're back, and now we're going to try to think through the point the writer was ultimately trying to make in this piece. And we should note that Elizabeth Wheel, we invited her to come on the show, and she declined, but she did ask that as her statement, we read this paragraph of her piece. Let's just come out and say it. It's a horrifying time to be a young woman. The world is burning and bleeding out. Adults are not fixing it. Teenage girls are poised to have fewer rights over their own bodies than their mothers had. The sane response, the awake, healthy, non-nihilistic response, is to feel panicked, frantic, hung out to dry, devalued, and unsafe. Who are they supposed to believe is looking out for them? The schools? The courts? Elected officials? Will anything get done to make the world better if they don't do it themselves? So we can ask, how is this mob justice possible and leave it there? Or we can ask what happened to this cohort to unleash what Northwestern legal scholar Deborah Turkheimer described as a primal scream a scream that conveys in its raw messy full of collateral damages way that we don't trust our institutions we've been betrayed by our institutions and so all that's left for us is to do this she's talking about the the article in general um, students have created this culture of public shaming and you a culture of public shaming is not a good thing, but that's happened in the absence of any kind of system for dealing with these issues through, through the school, through um, national educational policy. Girls continue to be victims of rape culture. Perpetrators don't have a path toward redemption. And some kids get roped into all of this who are are guilty of less than what they were accused of, or in some cases, completely innocent. Um, In Wheel Story, we hear about kids who are canceled accidentally, kids who are canceled and don't know why. Rebecca, how do you think she did?
1: It's so interesting to me that she wanted us to read this paragraph because a a lot of the critique of the piece, besides the high school shunning has always happened and we're only mad now because it's a boy, um, has to do with the, subjectivity of it, the way that it inhabits Diego's mind instead of Fiona's. So for example, we could maybe talk about the way that it was written a little bit, because this is something that, again, critics brought up quite a bit. Um, there's sort of like a um, like a John Green, young adult, <laughs> um, Fault in Her Stars kind of writing about um, Diego's life and also about Fiona, which uh, really makes it clear that the writer is trying to get Inside Diego's mind. So, for example, she describes Fiona as uh, almost psychedelically beautiful, pale celestial skin, a whole galaxy of freckles, a supernova of red hair. Um, So, we don't really know very much about her personality, her likes and dislikes. You get to hear all about the kinds of stuff that he likes to do, um, even small details down to like what's what's on his bedroom walls and what kinds of deodorant he uses and little grace notes that kind of flush out this picture of this person. Um, Whereas Fiona really doesn't get that same treatment. When critics kind of articulated this as a main problem with the story, um, I found the discussion really interesting. So I think that, I think by sharing this paragraph, I don't want to read thoughts into her head, but I think she's sort of trying to say like, look, I said the things that you guys are saying, you know, like one of the main things is um, that people would say is, okay, so why are we having this story from the point of view of a boy, like so many bad things are happening to girls right now. And she's like, look, this like beautifully crafted paragraph (laughs) that I've put in here kind of like covers me for that, which is an interesting move on a on a writer's part that I kind of recognize. It's like, basically, this piece was framed as being about a boy, because that makes it unusual. This is my argument. I'm saying this. (laughs) Um, You can see if you agree. Um, And the question is, if it had been framed around Fiona, would it have read the same or been as interesting to people or been sort of noteworthy or newsworthy or generated the amount of comment that this piece has generated?
0: I do think that's an interesting question. Um, I think the, the writing style is subjective. I wouldn't have called it, you know, John Green-esque. I mean, I, I think she was trying to do something novelistic. And if you already don't like the story, like you probably are not going to like that. I mean, the story does feel like it's too much about Diego and knowing that, that she's a, a mother at the school he goes to does make me think even more about that choice. And like, what did she know about this situation? It would have been a different story to to focus on Fiona or highlight the activism that these women are doing um, at Bay Area high schools, these girls are doing, and a less interesting one, I think. And I, I think... Our job as journalists is to tell the truth, certainly. And there are a lot of um, choices we can make in, in what to highlight and, and what not to. And we certainly don't want to put out clickbait, just something that, like, this is going to rile everyone up and get a lot of clicks. But we want to write compelling stories. And it's interesting to think about things from Diego's point of view, um, it, I mean, it's certainly it comes in in a context that that you have to read the room, but it it just is a more interesting story that Diego did something wrong, and we're still kind of talking about whether there's a path for redemption or trying not to write him off if if the story was just about these amazing kids who were fighting their administration or a completely innocent kid who was canceled and I think that the moral gray area is a lot of what's compelling here. Before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. Rebecca, what are you loving right now?
1: Okay, so I've finally gotten on the boat of what someone on Twitter has called The Sad Astronaut Show. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Catherine Van a uh, uh, coining. But uh, um, it's the show For All Mankind, which is on Apple TV+. Now, this is a sort of alternate history show about what would have happened if the Soviets got to the moon first, and therefore the Americans felt compelled to continue the space race. So it's like a early 1970s through today show about like a much more ambitious and aggressive American space program. And the reason I'm bringing it up on the waves is that one of the things that happens in the early parts of the first season is that uh, the Soviets put a woman on the moon. And so in response, Richard Nixon says we ought to get some lady astronauts up there. And so there's four. And then later on in the seasons, many more um, women who join Astronaut core. And so basically, it's like a core of both women and men who are doing, you know, colonizing the moon and then sort of mining the moon. And now I'm, I'm partway through season two and they're sort of um, figuring out what their next step is going to be. It's partially created by Ronald Moore, who created Battlestar Galactica. And it's like romantic and kind of scary sometimes and like suspenseful and spends a lot of time with its characterizations and their development. And I love it. I can't wait to go home tonight and watch another episode. I don't love space. But when you say romantic, I get a little (laughs) interested. (laughs) Yeah, 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 right. There is a lot of space technology. There's a lot of like, Oh, how are we going to get this, you know, coupler to the ship in time for it to be fixed, whatever, like that kind of stuff. So I'll warn you about that. But it is it is fun the other way. Now, what are you? What are you going to recommend? I'm also
0: going to recommend a TV show, Amazon Prime's. Uh, the summer I turn pretty. This is a, a seven episode series, um, and it's based on a book by Jenny Han, who is the same author who wrote the To All the Boys I Loved Before books, which became these huge Netflix movies, and I think are adorable especially the first one so it's just like candy for the summer this girl um, stays at a beach house every summer with family friends they've always regarded her as just the little sister while she's like in love with them and worships them uh, her family friends but then one summer you know the summer she turns 16 she shows up and she's grown up and they notice and it's really cute, I think if you've ever read like a novel set like over one summer at the beach, like there's just a familiar arc it follows, but it just does it so well and this this show totally could have been a movie, but I love that it's a seven episode series, just pure pleasure, cute boys love story, totally light and fun and maybe everything some of you are looking for right now. I certainly was.
1: I love it. So you can either pick (laughs) dramatic astronauts who are drinking in bars to get over their sadness, not being assigned to the mission, or you can pick fun teens at the beach. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Shannon Paulus is our editorial director. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. This is
0: the story of the one.